Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm S. Tia Brown, a licensed therapist, life coach, and journalist, and you're listening to Ready, Set, Grow, the ultimate group therapy podcast experience on the Dear Young Queen Network. Join us as we tackle the challenges of putting healthy habits to work in real life. On Ready, Set, Grow, you'll get tips from me and other experts on coping skills, practical life skills, and just being better. Listen, growing is a lifelong commitment. Let's do it together. Ready to grow? Okay, it's about that time. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to our show. I'm your host, Estia Brown, and I am so excited for you to join us for another episode or perhaps your first episode of Ready, Set, Grow with Estia Brown. I'm a licensed therapist and a life coach and just a person who loves talking in general. So let's see, where do I want to start? Hopefully you listened to episode one and two. I would love for you to be faithful followers. I talked a bit about myself. You got to know more about Ready, Set, Grow, the podcast, the direction that we want to go into. Uh, we debuted our Better Advice segment, which is an opportunity for listeners to ask me questions directly and to get advice that's really anchored in healthy choices. My goal is to really give people a framework to help process and make good decisions for themselves. We know that people are going to do the things that work best for them. And sometimes we don't always make healthy choices. We do what we want, right? So this is not a judgment space. This is a growing space. So if you're a grower, this is the place you need to be. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to keep working. I'm here to help you grow. And today I'm joined by one of my faves, and you've heard her voice before, um, our producer, Patrice. Hey guys, happy to be back. And I asked Patrice to join me today because our topic is how to pick a therapist. And I want to remind folks that this is connected to a real life business. Ready, Set, Grow is rsg.therapy is our handle on Instagram. We have herbalists. We have other mental health experts, therapists who are licensed in Maryland, New York, Virginia, and D.C. For people who don't understand how licensure works, and I'm, I know this is a di- a little bit of me digressing, but the way license, licensure works for most mental health workers is that you are licensed by state. Now, there has been some talk of lifting that and changing it, and in fact, during the pandemic, Regardless of what state you were in, you could be serviced by any practitioner. But as of now, there are a lot of layers and barriers to getting mental health support. And if you are looking for a therapist, you know, you go someplace like a directory, whether it's like psychology today or a black woman therapist, you'll see not only does your insurance have to line up, your state has to line up and your availability has to line up. Right. And so this is one of the reasons why it's so hard for people to get mental health support, because not you have to get those three things in alignment. But then you also have to have a rapport with the person that you talk to. Right. So a lot of times people get discouraged because they have all of these things line up. Your insurance works. There's availability. And then you speak to someone and you're really not vibing. And then you say therapy doesn't work. It's not therapy. It's just you and that therapist didn't vibe. And so I always tell people finding a healthy therapeutic relationship is also like dating. You have to find the right person, the person who you can receive information from, the person whose identities you feel align and complement you and can really take you on a journey of growth, right? I think it's important to kind of explore what you should be thinking about when you're picking a therapist because- it's something that comes up a lot. I don't know. Has that come up for you before, Patrice? No, but I've 
thought about it. You've often, thought about right? you've thought about how to pick a yeah, therapist. Yeah, there's so many you. out there. It is. It is. So I want to explore what you should be considering and the questions you should ask. So we're going to go over a couple of things I want you to think about. The first one is to date your therapist. Yes, I want you to date your therapist. So what does that look like? It can look like, number one, doing a bunch of research before you pick your person. But number two, feeling it out for a few sessions. A lot of times people feel like there's so much disclosure in the first intake session. And that's the session where you tell your therapist what's going on. You kind of share the inciting incident that brought you to therapy. And maybe you go into a bit of your backstory and it can be draining Um, It can make you feel sad. It can ignite a lot of different emotions and you don't want to do it again. I want you to be open to the fact that you need to see if there is a therapeutic alliance, if this person's temperament, if their skill set, if their responses to you in session and even their rapport and how they respond with you with emails and rescheduling works, right? Because all of this impacts your disclosure during your sessions and ultimately your healing process. So feeling it out for a few sessions and saying, do I like this? Do I feel good? Do I feel supported? And when I say good, I don't mean happy after sessions because (laughs) a lot of times people feel sad after sessions because you bring up a lot of stuff. But really figuring out if this feels like a fit that can help me do what? Grow, right? And speaking of good fits, don't assume because you share identities with the person, meaning if you're a woman, it's a woman. If you're black, she's black. She's close to your age. You know, that she looks fly or she looks frumpy or she looks smart. Don't assume that looks are going to be what helps you uh, navigate your mental health in a better way because nah, it's not based on how the person looks. Mm. Even in wanting to patronize Black-owned businesses, woman-owned businesses, assuming that a person is culturally competent and professionally competent because of how they present is going to lead to a major fail. So I want you to make sure you're not just going by looks, right? I would absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, Another thing is, I think people should be open to taking referrals. And I don't mean you have to use your best friend's therapist, but when you are looking and shopping on the market, you should ask around when, if you if you feel comfortable asking someone who they've used or if you heard someone mention someone who they've worked with or someone they know, ask, right? Say, hey, can I, can I get that information? And you don't have to give any other details. Just say, I'm interested in learning more, get the information, and then you follow up. A professional therapist, counselor, mental health expert, they do not disclose your information or even your patronage to other parties. So I don't want you to worry about confidentiality. Speaking of professional, I want you to make sure that this person is a professional. Now, I am a life coach. I went through a certified buying process, and there are people who have helping healing hands with all types of background skills and natural talent and instinct. But if you want to go through a therapeutic process, you may want to ensure that this person is licensed and skilled to help you make the transitions and the changes that you want. When you're in therapy, it's not about someone's opinion. It's not about their life experience. It's about their expertise. And we're not experts in telling you what to do. We're experts in giving you the tools to make healthier decisions. We're experts in giving you the tools to process your trauma, your pain. We're experts in giving you the tools to create 
healthy coping skills. And that is your goal. So you want to make sure you're looking for a professional who can do those things. Patrice, I see you nodding your head. (laughs) I'd also say, right, in this world that we live in where everybody is a coach, everybody is an expert, and that's no shade. You can run into people who can give their opinion very eloquently. And it feels like it really connects to you. But just really, especially in nowadays, like just be really sure that the person that you're getting that counsel from, like you said, is licensed. Because it's real easy, I think, to kind of fall into that. Oh, I found them on Instagram and their clips was popping and everything they were saying was connecting to me. Let me book a session, not understanding or not knowing if they're licensed at all. Absolutely. So that's big. And that person, you know, because I'm not going to poo-poo on people who Facts. are talented and naturally skilled. That person may have a gift, innate skill that they can give you. In addition to that, if you are looking to go through a, a more comprehensive therapeutic process, you need to work with a licensed professional who just has a different cachet of tools. And that's, again, knowing what you need. Yes. Making sure it's a good fit for you. Yes. And I think this is the most important part, the dynamic you need to set up with your therapist, the power dynamic, because uh, a lot of people look at therapists, doctors, lawyers, you know, they're experts in what they do, <clears throat> but they are not the authority in the relationship. You, the client, the customer are actually the authority in the relationship. And I really want people to consider that as they're looking to to work with any expert. Patrice, I see you nodding your head. Absolutely. Reminder, guys, I'm the person with no clinical background. I don't know any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Tia is the expert. But when we're looking for all the other types of people to help us, fitness trainer, hairdresser, makeup artist, our doctors, like our physical doctors, I think we are dating them. Like we're getting the research. We're saying, can we do a call? Maybe the therapist part, because it might be a little intimidating or it's a space that we don't talk about often. It can make people not want to do that extra work to, again, make sure it's the good fit. Yes. But the way we do our due diligence in all the other parts of our lives, we have to do it here too. You got to do it. have to. You have to. And I also think that people are scared of therapists. Yeah. Like we don't buy, this is a space where you're supposed to be supported, validated, and pushed. Yeah. So I want you to believe that. Another thing I want to bring up is, you know, talking about knowing what you need. A lot of times people will say, you know, I want to feel helped. I want to feel good. But after therapy, you feel sad. You feel spent. You're angry. You're confused and it makes you not want to do therapy anymore. And so the thing I want to let people know is a good therapist is going to have some sessions where you feel upset, sad, angry, hurt, confused, um, emotional after your session. Why? Because we're digging. Yep. Doing the we work. We are digging. That is the work. But. <laughs> That, to me, is the essence of what therapy is. It's work. And there are some sessions that I have with clients, and it's like, oh, happy and smiling. And there are other sessions where it's like, oh, shoot. Like, I had a session this week, and at the end of the session, (laughs) my client was like, I'm done with you, Tia. Mm. I'm done. I'm done. And she was saying it laughing with tears in her eyes, but we, we hit some heavy topics. So I want you to expect that to happen at times. So you're not surprised. You're not discouraged and you understand that that means progress, right? Yeah. So those are some things I want you to think about when you're picking your therapist emotionally. A few of the like strategic things I want you to think about is, number one, understand the types of specialists you're going to. So not only do people have different modalities, meaning like people also have different 
licenses and and degrees, right? My specialty is cognitive behavioral therapy um, and solutions-based therapy. I do talk therapy. So you have people who are licensed clinical social workers like myself. You have people who are psychologists. You have people who are counselors. And then you have people who are psychiatrists. Now, out of those, who can prescribe medicine? I'm going to go with the psychiatrist. Yes. The psychiatrist is the medical doctor. Now, other degrees may have doctorates. Right. So they have the highest level of expertise, but the medical doctor is who prescribes. Mm -hmm. And so you need to understand who you're going to. And another way that you decide that is not only if you need medication, but what you want to work on. Mm The reason why I chose to be a clinical social worker is because I wanted to build with your you know, mental health in terms of skills and dealing with trauma, but also life skills. I'm big on, listen, if you're sinking, you can't talk about the boat sinking. You got to start filling right. in those holes, right? You have to start figuring out where you're going to get the, the paddles from. Yeah. So I'm really big on life skills, practical life skills, tools to help you grow. Uh, hence, ready, set, grow. Right? <laughs> so you need to figure out what you need and do a little bit of research around that. Now, if you have any other questions about picking a therapist, I want you to hit me up in uh, the DMs. <laughs> that sounds real sexy, but no, hit me with a real question. <laughs> um, I do not give referrals for personal therapists. People hit me that with that all the time. They'll be like, oh, do you have a therapist that you suggest here or there? Unfortunately, I don't know everybody in different regions, so I can't give therapy referrals with confidence, but I am willing to give you feedback on some things you can consider. So please feel free to ask that. If you have any other questions, of course, you can hit us as well. So, you know, I try to keep it light, but there are some heavier topics that I want to talk about. Black women are among a demographic where suicide is actually uh, increasing suicide rates are actually increasing. So, I want to read some statistics to you that I found that I think are really important. Uh, according to a study from the CDC, uh, and that's the Center of Disease Control, 15% of Black female high school students that were surveyed—I always have to give that caveat—that were surveyed said that they attempted suicide. 15%. Think about that number. Now, that's compared to in the study, 9% of white female students and 12% of Hispanic female students. So our girls, you know, are going through a lot of stressors, a lot of anxiety. They've experienced a lot of trauma and they're having more and more mental health concerns and acting out more so than ever historically in the past. So this is something that we need to be really concerned about paying attention to our girls. But it's not just the girls, it's also black women. So I found another study from the Journal of Racial and Ethnic Health Disparities, and they found that the rate of suicide attempts in black women ages 25 to 45 almost doubled from 2.5% to 4.3%. Again, these numbers don't sound high, but this is someone that you know knows, someone who you know knows is being impacted by suicide or suicide attempts. So it's really important for us to talk more about mental health, to pay attention to the signs of stressors, to pay attention to how trauma is impacting people, and and to really be proactive about supporting each other. You know, when I hear things like this, the first thing I think about is the why. And, you know, as a mental health practitioner, I have a general idea of the whys, but I did want to talk to you a little bit about them. There are different studies that are showing that there are five kinds of areas that are impacting our community at a higher rate than others or or contributing 
to why people are depressed, why people are sad, why people may want to hurt themselves and why they feel hopeless. There are some like recurring bucket areas that have consistent alarm and concern. And I think some of these reasons are going to be things that aren't super shocking. So one of the factors is social media. Now, I know, you know, the democratization of media has been a good thing. People can share what they think, how they're doing. But people also use social media to, you know, in my day, they say stunt, you know, show off, brag. So social media is seen as being a really big factor in creating social pressure, isolation, uh, comparison, leading to depression, feeling unfulfilled, feeling like there's something missing that I am not achieving. So social media is actually having a negative impact on self-esteem and that manifests in different ways. So for some people, they may look at it and it makes them feel bad. Other people, it may motivate them to take an unhealthy action. Right. And that can range from self-harm to excessive shopping. Right. Social media is molding us and motivating us in ways that just really isn't healthy. Another big thing is we so underestimate how trauma impacts people. And, you know, we'll talk about more about this in another episode. But a lot of times when we think about trauma, we think about the biggest thing. Right. Like someone has been beaten, raped you know, seeing someone be killed. But really, there are a host of traumatic events that impact how we see ourselves and how we see the world. The scale of the event doesn't have anything to do with the response that a person has. So a a traumatic event is really anything that interrupts how you see yourself, how you see the world, and makes you feel and think differently. Right. So this really opens up our eyes on what could be a traumatic experience because we deal with so many stressors. We have a tendency to minimize what we think warrants someone feeling sad. Oh, you shouldn't be sad because you're getting bullied. You shouldn't be sad because you don't have this. You shouldn't be sad because someone broke up with you. But you know what? When a person is going through something and they feel hurt, they don't feel the same it can snowball into something bigger. So we really need to be mindful of the type of traumatic things that people experience and their responses and pay attention to how we can support them. The next thing that I'll say is, you know, something that we touched on a few moments ago was racism and discrimination. We can't minimize how consistently being exposed to economic disparity, social injustice, unfair treatment, not being held as a standard of beauty or masculinity, having undue and unjust social pressures put on us to perform, to be, uh, being firsts, being onlys, all of these things are stressful and people will process them in different ways. Uh, and I, th- I think closely knit to that will be our exposure to violence as people of color. If you live in certain neighborhoods, you may be more exposed to violence in your community If we're looking at it on television, we're vicariously exposed to it. That takes a toll on us. And then I would say the final bucket, I would say, is limited resources. And this is not talking just about money, right? Because we have a a gamut of how financial resources are dispersed in our community. Some people have more, some people have less. But what we don't have are a lot of Black-owned mental health services. We don't have a lot of research that is Black-focused and Black-led because we've had so many negative experiences with studies, we're reluctant to participate in them, right? But these are the ways that we create change. 
So if we put all of those things together, it's easy to see why Black women, Black girls have had a harder time dealing with issues that impact their mental health. And unfortunately, it's been leading to higher rates of suicide. So what can we do, right? You hear all of this stuff, you're like, what do I do? What do I do? And the answer is you do the best you can, right? So the first thing I want you to do in terms of putting your best foot forward is talk about mental health in a serious way and a respectful way. Let's not minimize when people say they're stressed, when people say they're hurt, when people are having a hard time getting over something. When a person is crying out, you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more underneath, right? So when people are telling you that they're hurting, don't just listen to them. Offer them support. So support may be a listening ear at the time. Support may be offering a resource. Offer them up a space that's soft, a soft space to land, as people like to say, a place of comfort and a secure place that they know they can go to if they're feeling that they're being pushed closer to the edge. Another thing I really want to encourage us to do is recognize traumatic events. You know, and I spoke about the gamut of what trauma can be, but Really thinking about, you know, if you hear your niece or your daughter or your friend broke up with someone, don't just push it off. You know, if you hear someone got fired from a job, even if they say they didn't like it, right, don't just push it to the side. If you know someone's mother is sick, someone's dad just died, you know, someone's boyfriend is cheating on them, don't minimize it and assume, oh, you'll get over it because it's not the worst. The worst. Pay attention. Offer help. Offer a referral like you're not you're not supposed to be anyone's therapist, but say, you know, hey, you know, that sounds like you're going through a lot. Have you considered seeing a therapist or I understand that you're going through a lot? All of these things are important. Right. The last thing I would say is I really want people to manage our expectations of what it means to be amazing, dope, successful, fly. Right. Like we don't understand how much pressure we put on other people and ourselves, when we expect people to be, you know, these quadruple threats <laughs> at all times, you a mama, you a badass business owner, you got a side hustle, plus just need to buy a house, you need this car, you need to be at the top of this. Really managing like what we think success is and, and whittling it down to what's important, achievable, attainable, and realistic for a happy, balanced life. Our conversations are so impactful and we don't realize that. So if we're constantly talking about go get it, go get it, go get it, and I'm not talking about not having standards and goals, but when we're constantly pushing people, it creates a peer pressure to achieve. It also makes those who are not able to, not interested in, who've had a loss, who've had a disappointment feel less than, and that can also spiral into different things. So let's really make sure that we're having well-rounded conversations about what it means to be happiness. And if we are out there and going to get it, let's normalize the challenges and the struggles that go along with that. So the people who do experience loss, who do experience setbacks, don't think that it's just them. They understand that it's part of the process. I think everyone kind of wants to be part of a change and we don't always know how. When we take small steps in how we interact with people, we're modeling change, we're being the change, and we can help create more of the change that we want. So I, I really, really encourage people who are passionate about Black women, Black girls to take the steps necessary to create an environment, a community that supports, holds, and celebrates them. And our goal here is to, 
you know, create a space where we can grow. And I think that this is an amazing way to grow. How are you liking Ready, Set, Grow with S. Tia Brown, <laughs> by the way? I have to ask. I hope you guys are really enjoying it. Uh, do me a favor. Leave a review. Tell us more about what you like, what you love to see uh, in the comment section below. And if there's anything you think I can do to be more of service, let me know. Let me let me know. Thank you for listening. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Have a great day.